It's the TEH podcast, episode number 187. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. And let's see. I, I, so I've gotten myself very confused here um, mm-hmm. because obviously we're playing with some interesting things. In fact, I have a, a, another a virtual guest on our mm-hmm. podcast today. Let's see if I could make this happen too. And I'm Randy Cassingham of thisistrue.com, and I'm not really here. Excellent. So um, what we're doing here, the, our first topic today, of course, is this concept of um, uh, audio synthesis. Um, of the three introductions that you just heard, only one of them was real, um, Gary's. Mine uh, was actually a synthesized version of me just typing some text into a service. And of course, Randy, our, our, our one of our original co-hosts, uh, well, he ain't here. But, okay, but yeah. um, I think it's an interesting discussion to have just because of how these were created. And um, I have one more sample to play. This is the one that Gary's already heard as we were warming up for the show. Um, but I think it's also another interesting characterization of, of how this uh, technology can be used. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. And wait, I feel like I'm stuck in the matrix. So in all three of those cases, like I said, the audio was being synthesized. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, um, honestly, from my perspective, they did a pretty darn good job, yeah. um, especially on yours, the one that I just played. Um, it feels very natural. Now, anybody that really knows you, that spends a lot of time with you or that listens to you a lot, um, like you and I have these conversations every mm-hmm. week um, and you know we've met in person and so forth, you know what to listen for, right? If something sounds just a little off. I guess it's the audio version of Uncanny Valley. But um, what's neat about this is that it is, uh, in many cases, good enough. Um, it yeah. will fool some people. Um, the The biggest issue I have in playing it here today was just the timing because the the mechanics of actually getting these things to play through our little Zoom call here tends to be a little bit odd. If the timing weren't so horrible, uh, things would probably feel a little bit more seamless and it would probably be even more uh, or I should say less obvious that these seg- some of these segments were um, auto-generated. But here's the thing. Here's the yeah. thing that got me. So I, I shared this technology with some friends a couple of weeks ago, and I did it myself. I basically uh, took uh, some text of my own mm-hmm. and used that to generate the model that this generating service uses. What does that mean? All I did for my stuff was I recorded myself speaking. I actually read one of my blog posts and then uploaded basically five minutes of my voice to this service. And they say that anything over five minutes is a waste. Um, it, you know, your the incremental improvement just isn't that great. So five minutes is all you need. And the net result from just paying attention to my voice for five minutes is to me stunning. Absolutely stunning. Um, yes, there there are things you can tweak when you generate the audio. And in fact, for Gary's, I had to get yours. Um, I had to play with it a couple of times to get it mm-hmm. a little bit more 
um, animated. Uh, I had to make actually play with mine a little bit to get it a little bit more animated too, because that's one of the the biggest things you notice right away. That by default, these things are pretty flat, pretty boring, pretty monotone. Um, but if you play with it a little bit, you can get a little bit more animation, a little bit more what I would refer to as humanity in mm -hmm. uh, what's going on. But all it took was five minutes of audio. Mm. Okay, great. I said, let's do this for someone else. Uh, Gary, I took one of your videos, stripped yeah. off the audio. It's just one of your random videos. I don't even remember what the topic was. Um, I uploaded the topic or the, the audio to this service. It churned away and created a model for your voice. And I can now get you to say anything. Hmm. Literally anything I can <laughs> type in, I can have you say. Uh, same scenario with Randy. With Randy's voice, uh, I took one of his podcast episodes. He does a, uh, a voice podcast every so often. So I took one of those and uploaded it. Didn't even pay attention to what the content was. Uh, and the net result was a really good model of his voice. Now I can get him to say anything. Mm. So that's the part that has me both amazed and concerned. Because anybody who has a vocal presence anywhere can now be imitated. Um, anybody that does a podcast, anybody that does a video, anybody that does anything that involves any kind of, all it takes is five minutes of a recording of your voice. And now somebody else uh, can run around and basically do what I would refer to as audio deep fakes. We tend to think of deep fakes as being video, but um, audio deep fakes are where, um, uh, what we're talking about here. And on one hand, it seems kind of scary. Hmm. On the other hand, it seems, well, I mean, what, what would be the point? How, how would somebody misuse this? Um, and there I think is where the can of worms, it's not a very big can of worms yet, but I think it could lead to some interesting scenarios. Certainly, I'm surprised, and honestly, I'm surprised we haven't seen more of this in the video world, but I would not be surprised to find audio deepfakes coming out for uh, major politicians, having them say things sure. in something that is clearly their own voice um, that they never, ever said. And I think we've already had some cases of that. Oh, the, sure. The big shift here is how uh, trivially easy this was to do. Um, I was able to do this you know, in less than 15 minutes. Anybody can do it. Anybody with the knowledge and the tool. Yeah. Um, the tool is an online service and it's, there's nothing, you know, it's, it's not secret by any stretch. It's, it's from 11labs.io. And, um, you know, you can do some, some samples of your own for free. Um, if you pay something like five bucks a month, then you get better quality. You can uh, generate more voice samples. They've got a few predefined voice samples that you can use as well. But it's really the the whole, uh, the magic here is to be able to do it from somebody else. Now, the other part of this is that one of the things that I saw years ago was that one of my uh, financial institutions is using, or at least at the time was using voice recognition as a way to authenticate you for telephone-based transactions. Mm -hmm. And they would have you basically say a specific phrase, which I'm not going to say here because I just, I, no. 
<laughs> I, I don't know that they've turned that on. Um, but they would have you say a specific phrase to set up this uh, authorization. And then later when you called in to make a telephone transaction of some sort, they would have you say this same phrase again and compare it against the original. And if it was the same, uh, then it must be you. It must be your voice because of course, nobody else has your exact voice. Of course, mm -hmm. that's no longer true. I, one of the reasons I bring this up is because one of the security researchers I follow did the experiment. He recorded himself uh, saying that phrase mm -hmm. and then using, I should say, no, he, he did not record himself saying that phrase. He uploaded a model of his voice to the service, mm -hmm. typed in the phrase, had the service generate an audio file of him saying that phrase, mm -hmm. and then successfully use that audio file to authenticate. Oh, so the original was him talking that he sent to the, to the company. And then to unlock the second time, Right. He used the generated one. Okay. Correct. I, Correct. I'm I, I'm surprised that worked. I mean, now that it does, you know, you say it does work, then of course, yeah, you can't we can't use that anymore. I would have guessed it was more like a uh, a retina scan where you could, you know, you could get an artist to create a hyper realistic uh, you know, painting, including right. your eyes, and anybody looking at it would say, Wow, that artist really captured your eyes. But right. if you try to scan that with a retina scanner, the retina scanner is going to say, nope, not even close. Um, but obviously this audio technology is not, it, it is, you know, will fool. The, the assumption I think with the retina scanner, I think it's a good one, um, is yeah. that it's looking at more than just what you and I can see, right? Yeah. Um, it's like the old fingerprint thing. It's got you know, fingerprint scanners. There has to be some capacitance. It's not enough to just have a plastic fingerprint. It actually has to have some, yeah. some a human level of capacitance behind it or, you know, various things like that. So there's something more than just what you see. And yes, you're right. It, it would be a valid assumption to think that, um, you know, these audio tests that do this, uh, there would be more to it than what you can hear. Right. There's there's something else that they're also factoring in. But apparently that's not the case. And my suspicion is that part of that is because of the low quality of the telephone system. Uh, these things have to work across uh, yeah, our, our POTS lines, our, our plain old telephone system lines, which um, at best um, are um, eight kilohertz audio which means there's just not a whole lot of room to finesse uh, the details of what our right. audio might sound like. Obviously what we're doing here is significantly higher quality, right? We're both going through high quality microphones. We're doing this over the internet at a high speed, mm -hmm. um, you know, all sorts of good things. Um, but the plain old telephone system still has to work. And that means that they can't just assume that you're always calling in from a high quality line. So they can't look for all those little nuances that perhaps you can't hear. Um, it's one of those things where it felt kind of shaky to begin with. And I'm wondering if someone who is very good, I mean, really good at impressions could also mimic someone, uh, someone famous, perhaps who, who set this up. But anyway, I just thought the whole scenario was really, really interesting. It's another, it's another uh, sign of, of how things are changing. It's, it's along the lines of, you know, the AI discussions we've been having, the, um, you know, video uh, mm -hmm. deep fakes we've been talking about. This is one that, like I said, it just became very real very quickly and it's very trivial for anybody to do. Yeah, so I am actually very excited about this. You mentioned briefly the idea of content creation 
And my mind still just always turns to content creation whenever we're talking about this, whether it's the chat APIs, uh, you know, chat AIs, the image creation AIs, right. um, or this voice synthesis, um, a whole bunch of uses spring to mind. Sure. One of them is just synthesizing my own voice. And you know, you might think, well, why would you want to do that? All I have right. to do is switch on a microphone and record my voice. Well, right. let me tell you a bunch of different reasons. First <laughs> of all, uh, the quality with a microphone is difficult to get. As I've been experiencing this week, having moved my office and trying to get the audio back to where it was before with different a different room kind of architecture here with different surfaces and echoes mm -hmm. and reverbs and all of this, um, it's difficult. Plus, I, I live in the city, so there's noises that happen all the time. And unless I want to build myself a soundproof room, um, which I have no interest in doing, because I, I spend half my waking hours in my office, more than half my waking hours in my office. I don't want to live in a soundproof room. Right. <laughs> um, so I want a, a nice room with windows and bookcases and all, you know, a comfortable environment. But synthesis of my voice means I could actually, if I needed to record, say, a minute of narration to a tutorial, I could actually type it and then have a perfectly clear version of myself right. speaking it regardless of the room, the microphone or noises or anything, or even if I have a sore throat that day or I'm congested or whatever. Um, the other uh, thing is, is that, and people who don't record audio uh, on a regular basis don't realize this. It's impossible to record yourself and get everything right. When you're live, people give you a lot of slack and work by live. I mean, like what we're doing now. We're just right. doing this. We're not editing together our voices in every sentence. Oh, yeah, there were, there were so the, many ums in what I was saying a little yeah. while ago, right? Yes. Well, when you watch the news, <laughs> when you watch the news that's live, when you watch a, even a talk show that's pre-recorded, it's pre-recorded in front of a live audience. It's live. They're not editing together segments. When you watch a drama or a comedy on television, that's not live, although they do sometimes do the live studio audience thing. Right. Um, but they can take many you know, takes of a, a particular scene and go over and over again. Typically, you're not doing that. If I want to record, say, a five-minute tutorial, I'm recording way more than five minutes and then editing down often things that I repeat over and over again because I simply flub the sentence or I say it in a way that doesn't quite make sense. And so I just do it again and I do it again until I get it right and then edit it all down. If instead I had the ability to sit and type out exactly what I wanted to say, read it over, edit it, and not have all the ums and everything in there, you know, and be like, oh, this is really clear and this is the best way to say it. this is the best word to use here and all of that, it actually doesn't take that long if you're, you know, used to writing like you and I are. And then go and say, now make that audio and make it sound like me. It could have a significant quality advantage in every aspect um, to what I do now. So that's really interesting. The other thing that interests me is what if I don't want to don't want to make it my voice? I'm curious to play around with this to see uh, not the synthetic voices that they provide because I see they've got some that you can just choose one. Mm -hmm. um, but in generating one, like what if I wanted? Oh, this tutorial would be great if it sounded like it was Morgan Freeman, but I don't want it to be Morgan Freeman. I want it to be Morgan Freeman like. So maybe <laughs> right. a sample of his voice, easy to guess, right? And maybe then I want to tune it and just make it a unique voice. 
and say, okay, this is eh, this is in that ballpark, the 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 well-spoken narration voice, but it's nobody in particular. It's just kind of in the same ballpark as someone else. And then maybe take that and use that to generate content that doesn't sound like the TikTok voice, which you know it's like every video sounds the same because everybody's using their same pre-generated voice. So there's a few of them they use. Right. So that's really interesting to me. Uh, you know, all from a content generation standpoint, I, most of the time in my videos, I'm on camera, but I don't need to be. And actually when I do my longer stuff, like my courses, I don't, I'm not on, on camera. And it would be really interesting if I could quietly sit and actually type out what I wanted to say, and then have it generated over the video that I've made. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's, it would just be a different way of working and it may be something that, I don't know, something, it, it could have many advantages over what I'm doing now. So you reminded me of several um, use cases that I was thinking of. Um, that One that, I, that actually hadn't crossed my mind until you were talking. And that is that, I don't know, I think it was last year. So at the end of every um, Ask Leo video that I post on YouTube or Vimeo, mm -hmm. um, it, there's always a companion article that it goes with. So at the end of that video, I will usually say something like, you know, hey, for the full details, for comments, for links, related links and more, visit askleo.com slash and then some number. You've probably heard me refer to uh, some of the articles are blatant self-promotion articles. I always include the URL um, by number. Um, Connie, who edits this um, uh, podcast for us, who puts it together and, and produces it, uh, also edits my videos. And she got back to me one, one time and I said, you read the wrong number, right? Mm. Um, and so she very, very carefully managed to find me, say the right digits, and then spliced the right digits in the right order over the top of what <laughs> I had recorded wrong. Mm. Um, here's the solution, right? If she had access to yeah. my, my audio generation, my audio synthesis, she could just have me say the right thing, <laughs> which, which is actually pretty darn cool. Hey, I um, could have, yeah, you could have somebody produce like extra content. Like I'm, I find myself caring less and less about the shorts, you know, TikTok style content. Yes. And, and I'm not actually, I'm only at the beginning as a little intro. It would be interesting right, right now. If I wanted somebody to just make a bunch of those, mm -hmm. like I have a, um, like I could, I could take a, a list of tips and say, here, I've written down a hundred iPhone tips and this content I've created, here's a hundred iPhone tips, make these into TikTok videos. Uh, well, the thing they would be, they would be able to do the screenshots, but they'd be missing my voice, but maybe with this, they wouldn't be. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> then I could yeah. just basically wait a week and somebody that I pay goes and says, here, I took the tips you wrote. I recorded screen grabs to show everything. And I used the synthesized voice and here's a hundred TikToks. One of the things you commented on is, is, um, you know, the, the fact that there's actually a lot of editing that goes on behind the scenes for most of our, our videos. I know that like my production videos, the, the YouTubes and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's a lot of times where I will misstate something and then just start over. And Connie magically makes that all go away through the magic of editing. Um, what it boils down to those, even if you're just recording audio only without video, it's more work. And I have sometimes toyed with, I toyed with briefly on my personal blog uh, 
turning that into or generating a side podcast of having those blog entries just narrated, but they were narrated using a, a voice generated by Amazon Polly, I think is the service that they have. Mm. Um, now, here's a different approach. Uh, yeah. Take the article, copy paste it into this generator and have it poop out the audio and attach it to the attach it to the article as the as the audio uh, for the podcast uh, without oh, ever yeah. having to do anything there's no recording there's no editing there's just copy paste i wonder if i could even do a process where i took one of my videos which had me talking but mm -hmm. had a little bit of reverb a little bit of outside noise maybe the microphone's not perfect and had it actually grab the words that i was saying and redo them in a synthesized voice with the same timing. That huh. would be interesting. The timing part of the current technology is hard. It reads yeah, at the rate it, it reads work. at the rate it reads. But um, uh, but yeah, I, I'll. If it's funny, you what you're basically talking about is take the automated transcript of what you actually said. Yeah. And then pump it through some kind of synthesis to say it again, only more cleanly. Huh. Um, and then so, I could change my voice. I could, you know, make it, uh, I don't know, to somebody else. And here's the same, here's the same one, you know, read by, you know, whoever. Yep. Yeah. Um, another scenario. So I don't know if you remember this or not. Many years ago, um, Roger Ebert, the uh, famous movie critic, mm -hmm. uh, late movie critic, uh, he lost his voice to, I believe it was throat cancer. Yeah. And he ended up using, it may even have been an iPad at that point, uh, to basically type and then have the iPad speak what he was saying. Not unlike uh, Stephen Hawking was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but at one point, Apple came to him and they put in a tremendous amount of work to essentially generate a voice model for his iPad so that when he spoke, it actually sounded like him. Mm. They did this you know, as a proof of concept, good publicity. Nominally, it was for his wife so that his wife would hear his voice again. Mm. Um, but again, at that time, I mean, we're talking, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, quite a while ago, yeah. um, that at the time, it was quite a bit of effort to make this happen. Now, again, 10 minutes, and yeah. you're done right? It's, it's amazing. Now, the one question I have, and this is something that I think we're going to be struggling with across all of these mediums, and I'm thinking uh, we're already hearing about the arguments on the visual medium, that is copyright. You mentioned mm -hmm. earlier taking, um, uh, whose was it? James Earl Jones? No, you were taking somebody else's voice. Morgan Freeman. Morgan yeah. Freeman's James voice. There we go. Good too. <laughs> um, I got a note on James Earl Jones, but um, for, so for Morgan Freeman, if you take his voice to say something, is that copyright infringement? Yeah. In other words, does he own copyright to his own voice? My suspicion is technically he does. Um, if and even if he doesn't, um, the lawyers will happily spend a lot of money trying to say he does. Uh, so that's one of those things where you know people who think they want to do this with famous people's voices or the voices of people who haven't given permission um, need to tread very carefully. Um, in the examples that I used earlier in this podcast, uh, yeah, I asked Randy, I let him listen to it first. I, I asked him for permission to use his voice. Um, and yet for you, mm -hmm. um, I suppose if you wanted to, you could sue me. I'm going to sue uh, you. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that there's, a, again, once again, when you get into new technologies like this, now you're opening up a whole raft of um, uh, legal questions that basically for which there are no answers yet. Yeah. Um, I mentioned uh, James Earl Jones because he actually preemptively dealt with this. Mm. He is no longer the voice of Darth Vader, except he is. He has retired, but he has licensed his voice back to Lucasfilm so that they can, they are allowed to do exactly what we've just described. They can use the digital model of his voice so that um, Darth Vader will speak forever. <laughs> which I find yeah. is absolutely fascinating. And I think probably something that's going to happen more and more as uh, various actors realize that it's another asset um, in various movie studios, especially movie studios with, uh, you know, series or universes or whatever, uh, realize that there's a lot of value in having, um, having that, uh, that content. Yep. Mm. Anyway, fascinating stuff. I just found it was a, a really fun to play with. Um, you know, I, at some point we're going to have to have a discussion about mid journey. Cause I've been playing with that too, but, um, but yeah, audio fun stuff. Cool. So speaking of audio, you yeah, just more, more audio, <laughs> talk to me, talk to me about your move and your audio. Well, okay. So, uh, right. Part of this move, um, you know, when you move, it's more than just moving your stuff. There's all sorts of services you need to move as well. And, um, I'm a gen Xer. You're also a Gen Xer, just a little bit older. I am, I am not. I you're, am, you're technically on the other side. You're a I'm baby a, boomer. I'm a full-on boomer. Yep. Oh, okay. So boomers, you might be an exception, but you know, if you ask a boomer if they have a landline, they're going to say, "Of course, I have a landline." Right. Um, if you ask a millennial, they're going to say, "Of course, I don't have a landline." <laughs> if you ask a Gen Zer, they're going to say, "What's a landline?" Um, <laughs> if you ask somebody who's Gen X. You may get one answer, you may get another. Uh, so up until last week, my answer would have been yes, I still do have a landline. Uh, when I last moved seven and a half years ago, I moved all, you know, my, my, I had my internet access through my phone company. Mm -hmm. So it was just easier to say, just move my services to a new location. Right. And I got my landline with that. This time, I moved to a location that has uh, Google Fiber which I, you know, of course, it's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> um, and I and I did, and it's great so far. Uh, but that means that I don't need internet access from my phone company anymore. All I kind of needed, maybe didn't need from them is the landline. And I really didn't want to have the landline. And, but then I had my phone number for a long time. And I wish there was just a way to keep the phone number, maybe have a landline, but I pay so much. Um, and I found out, yes, there, there is, as some listeners probably already know, um, there's VoIP, voice over IP, uh, which is of course something that's been around for decades for businesses and for home use too, but just not as common for home use. And it's, uh, you know, having a landline kind of, but over the internet, you're basically in a, a kind of way acting as your own phone company. You're actually, you know, you've got the internet co uh, connection and you've got a box that goes out to the internet and establishes dial tone and all of that. I looked into it and there were some companies that charge a fairly decent amount every month and offer kind of a white glove service. You know, you pay 30 bucks or whatever. They send you a piece of hardware 
they take care of everything for you. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was like, yeah, that's okay. I also, I'll save a few dollars. Um, but then I looked in and I found out that there's a, a, a service, probably several, but uh, one I went with that's much more um, geeky. <laughs> I went with one called uh, VoIP.ms. That is basically, it, it, it's not going to do any of that white glove stuff. It's don't even try it unless you're already familiar with things like cPanel and like Linux servers. <laughs> and stuff. It's, it, the configuration pages alone are just filled with acronyms, ac- acronyms and they are like pages and pages and pages long for various things. You have to fill out so much stuff to configure. So basically I went with this, but the, the advantage is I'm going to be paying, I should be paying just dollars a month for this. Um, the first thing I did was, you know, I signed up for an account and it didn't really cost anything. And then I said, I wanted my number ported over, which uh, was the main thing is, can I get my phone number ported over? And I went, my uh, old company was CenturyLink. I heard horror stories about trying to get your number ported from them. Uh, basically, you know, they even heard things about, uh, them and other companies like them playing games with you, where in order to prove that your request is valid, you need to do something like provide a pin or fill out a certain form or get pre-approval, these kinds of things. And that they even, whatever it is that you think you need, um, they will tell you what's wrong the first time, uh, and tell you, you need another one. Even though if you had tried the other one, they would tell you that was wrong and you needed the one that you originally did before. In other words, just whatever they can do to delay you from actually transferring your number over. Right. But that didn't actually happen. I actually filled out the form, read somewhere that you don't need a pin. for You just needed some other proof. And I just filled the form out and it was like, well, let me submit this and get the rejection. And the rejection will tell me what I need to do next. Right. right. And after a week, I didn't get a rejection. I got a, your number's been transferred. And sure enough, I was able to log on to the site that I really wasn't paying anything much for yet and find out that my number was available there. And I was able to say, uh, forward it to my cell phone. And sure enough, if I call that number, my old landline home number, it went to my cell phone. And then I set it up to say, okay, go to voicemail. Mm -hmm. And instead it went to voicemail. And I had the voicemail actually go to an email with an audio file attached. And I was like, wow, uh, that was really easy. And now actually I was paying almost nothing. I mean, I think it would have been like one or $2 a month just to stay at that level. Um, I, I wanted to go a step further. I actually wanted to have a phone ring at, at the, the house. Okay. So I, it turns out I did buy something called an ATA. Uh, I, there are so many acronyms. I don't even remember <laughs> what ATA stands for, but I needed an ATA. So I bought, bought one uh, from, uh, I think it was Grandstream is the one I, I, I bought. Uh, different different companies make them. Cisco, I think, makes them, and all of this. I only bought I bought this one simply because the company I was doing the VoIP through had a tutorial on how to configure it. Okay. So I was like, okay, that'll, that'll make it easy if I don't have to figure it out on my own. So I bought this thing. It was thirty dollars. It's a little tiny black box, and uh, it, Ethernet goes in, and a phone jack out. A copper you wire plug, phone jack. Plug plug a plug yeah. Plug in my <laughs> phone. And then you have to configure that. So the the VoIP thing, that was intense, configuring VoIP. Configuring this ATA, that was even more intense. <laughs> I mean, the stuff you, you know, the configuration, I could, I could set my dial tone to any frequency I want. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, I don't know why I would, 
could but mimic a European stick. phone, make people feel I, yeah, at home. Yeah, I yeah. guess, I guess. I mean, so many crazy things that you can configure. And of course, a lot of them have to match your VoIP and have to match match various different things and get through your, you know, your internet provider. And oh, it was just, and then of course, conflicting information about how to set this, how to set that. And after a while uh, of playing around with it and trying different things, I finally got it to work. And I got uh, the ability when somebody calls that number, it now rings my phone, even though it's through this little uh, ETA box, through my VoIP. And and I can pick the phone up and it, there's a dial tone and I can dial out and call anywhere. You know, I tested various numbers and it works. Um, it's highly configurable because I went with this yeah, I, I don't know what the, the $30 a month ones have. They probably have a bunch of neat features too. But there's crazy features on this. Features you have to read like manuals to understand how to do. But I could do things like, you know, have people be on hold. You are the second caller in line, that kind of thing. Wow. You know, I could do all sorts of, I could have multiple numbers. So this was, I had to port my number over, but I could easily go and say, hey, I'd like to purchase a number in the 303 area code. And it would say, here's some that you can purchase. And I'd be like, this one. And it will be a few bucks. And then I'd have to pay like a dollar or a month or something to keep it. And I could have another line. And this box I have actually has two phone jacks. So I could have a second phone number. And actually, there'd be nothing to prevent me from either getting another box or there are boxes that have 10 or 20 phone lines that go out. Um, or you can get soft ATAs. So these are uh, apps that you can get for your iPhone or Android phone that you just configure it to go to this app. And now your phone rings, but it's not the phone app that's doing it. It's this special app that's doing it. And you can dial out and do voicemail and do everything through this app. And then you can get like five numbers and then have this app basically be like, oh, somebody with this call ID is calling you at your th on line number three. I mean, there's so many crazy things that you can do with this, the messages going out, like not only can I set my voicemail message, but I could set like any message I want and then easily switch it over. So if, for instance, I didn't want to be disturbed one evening. I could just say, oh, uh, now the primary thing that happens when this number is called is this message is played, that's it. And you just get a message saying, mm -hmm. you know, we're out of the office, call us tomorrow or whatever. Um, all sorts of just crazy, interesting things. And you could set priority orders for things like what happens. Okay, three rings. If I don't pick up, then it does this. You know, all sorts of interesting. Like, I feel like I've got my own little phone company that's just me now. So, um, my, and, yeah, right. go ahead. Well, my question to you is, do you actually then have literally one and only one landline phone in your house? Well, no, because uh, what we have uh, dating back so many years, like 25 years, is like a five phone little wireless system. Um, so, you know, the base station is plugged into this thing. And okay, then there's but like every... four satellite phones. Got it. Okay. It's one of those things. I literally, I think I purchased it 25 years ago. Sure. And I still have the same five phone little Panasonic system. It still yep. works. So yeah, I can have a phone in the bedroom and one in the living room and one in the kitchen. Okay. And um, yeah, I don't, I didn't, I wasn't even worried about like, how do I wire up the, the place um, that took care of itself. Uh, oh, another cool thing I could do is I could set my caller ID. So, you know, when I tell people <laughs> that, 
that you're like, when you get a, a call and the caller ID says one thing, don't believe it. Right. Um, yeah. Now I have you, proof. You can prove it. <laughs> I can, I could, I could change my caller, change the characters of my caller ID and then call you and it will say, you know, whatever. So oh, that's hilarious. Really interesting. Inter there's even ways to like, I could, I could dial into my own phone from away. Mm -hmm. Like use my cell phone, dial into the system and then make a call out from here. It's, oh, huh? it's really fat. So it looks like I'm calling from inside. Right. I've right. uh, fascinating call, call stuff inside the house. Yes. Yeah. And, and none of it is tied to this location. Like, so if I were to move again, right. Nothing for me to do. I, I was going to say, you just pack everything up and take it with you. Yeah. Go to the next place. I could actually unplug this and take it with me on vacation. So you could travel with it. So, uh, I've, I've been down various pieces of this path before mm -hmm. um, myself. Uh, we've been in this house for 27 years. So of course, um, you know, copper wires uh, coming into the house. We had our traditional landline uh, forever. And we've had the same phone number for the last 27 years, for sure. Mm, yeah. Actually, we've had the same phone number for 38 years because we had it at the previous house as well. Yeah. Um, right now, today, uh, that copper lies idle. Um, mm -hmm. It is not. It is not in use. It used to bring in our DSL, but then DSL got too slow, and then the phone company changed, and we moved, and so forth. One of the first things I tried was, and maybe you ran across them. I'm assuming they're still around. Was Vonage? Yeah, that's one of the. Uh, that's the one I was talking about. That's like I don't know if it's like thirty dollars or something. Yes, like that. exactly. It, it was like it would have made the process simpler if I absolutely. Used it. it it did. It certainly did for us. Um, Vonage was neat. It was, it was way cheaper than our landline at the time, you know, than, than paying the phone company. Uh, once we had a good enough internet connection, a reliable enough internet connection, I looked into it. Uh, it's got all the features, you know, the call forwarding and the, uh, you know, the call waiting and caller ID and all those, all the random things that you expect. Um, but it's a box. Now, the problem that I have here, and the reason I was asking about multiple phones is that we've got a fairly large house. There's a fair amount of distance between you know one end and the other, so even a wireless phone isn't necessarily going to handle it like you've got it handling for you right now. Mm -hmm. But I did a smart thing several years ago. I actually had wires uh, run so that all of the phone jacks throughout the house. It's actually true for network as network and cable as well, but they all uh, go down to the basement where I've got a big old patch panel um, that I can connect up. Um, individual ports to individual things. I took my Vonage box and I put it in my basement and I jury rigged that copper plug and patched it into the patch panel. So all of a sudden, all of the phone jacks throughout the house were live. They just happened to be running to Vonage instead of through my phone right. company. It actually yeah. worked out really well. Now, one of the things that had us keeping a landline uh, for longer than I think we would have wanted to mm -hmm. uh, was our alarm system. The alarm system required a copper wire connection uh, and they couldn't go through. Um, they, they explicitly disallowed VoIP um, probably for liability or perhaps even uh, liability, reliability and liability reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, but they changed a couple of years ago, actually many years ago now, um, they came in and said, you know what? We don't need the copper wires anymore. We'll replace it with this little box that basically turned out to be a uh, uh, the moral equivalent of a cell phone. 
Yeah. Uh, so it actually connected up to, I'm not sure if it was Sprint or AT&T or Verizon or whomever out here, uh, so that when the alarm tripped, they went out wirelessly, which is actually also nice because it also means that the burglar can't cut your wire, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> they can't That's disable the, the yeah. alarm by cutting the wire. Um, they did have to upgrade. Uh, I think originally they were 2G, but 2G is now out of service. So I think they upgraded it a couple of years ago to 4, 4G um, just to make sure that it was going to last for a while. I'm assuming that where you are right now, you've got an alarm system of some sort, but it's hardwired into your building rather than through the phone company. Well, uh, well, yeah, because I'm not I'm I'm in a building now, as right, it, right, as right. you said. It is uh yeah, there's it's not the same. I mean, before I had a kind of a home alarm system. Right. Um now, of course, there's a building, there's a front door with a you know, security at the front door and uh elevator and another door i mean you know it's there's it's a long way between the outside and the inside right here whereas of course in a house there's just you know an inch of door between the outside and the inside so it's a very right. different kind of situation right. uh our old we did have a security system in the old place and it was like you know the it was a, a cellular chip in there so there oh, was cool. no landline that could be cut and, and it was kind of neat too because you could i i use simply safe and mm -hmm. it was neat because not only could it call out if there was, you know, an alarm and, you know, call the uh, office and say, you know, there's been a break in, but I could also uh, set or, uh, you know, change or check on the alarm using it. Right. Right. So, you know, through their app, I was able to say, oh yeah, the alarm is on or no, I didn't turn it on. Let me turn it on now. And the signal was going through that. So my Wi-Fi could be down. But I could still turn the alarm on or off or check it. Oh, cool. It. Yep. Yep. Nice. Um, something I was thinking of. So the, the cut to the chase for where we're at right now, um, I don't have a landline in the sense that my copper is all not being used. The phone company isn't involved. Yeah. But my internet comes through Comcast and uh, Comcast business. And as a result, our quote unquote landline also comes over cable, which technically is VoIP, except it is in parallel to the internet they provide. It is not on, it is not using the internet that they provide, if that makes any sense. Um, it's like a separate connection the, uh, uh, that they somehow manage, but it's still coming through the single cable that, uh, that comes into the house. Um, yeah. The thing that I was thinking of, and I, I toyed with playing with this and, and I'm surprised you, I suspect it's not something that's appropriate for where you're at right now, but I could see you playing with this. Uh, there's a system called Asterisk, and what it is, is it is essentially a phone switch mm -hmm. uh, that runs at a PC. So basically, you need some hardware that allows you to plug in phone lines into this box. But then all of a sudden, you've got your own phone, literal phone system. You can call from you know the bedroom to the kitchen because mm -hmm. they each have different numbers. Uh, it's like a small business solution, except you could implement it in your house for free because it's Linux and it's open source and all that kind of stuff. All you really need is that one incoming line that you now have um, that is digital and probably requires a heck of a lot of configuration to make happen. But um, that was something that I, I toyed with at one point as well. But I'm assuming at this point now, you're doing most all of your communication via your cell phone. Uh, yeah, yeah, for... Um... Yeah, actual audio phone calls mm -hmm. several years ago. I mean, I was already using it a lot, but several mm -hmm. years ago, I made an effort to be like, I'm not no longer giving out my old landline number. Yeah, I like for anything I need for yeah. confirmation, for setting up an account, for making a reservation somewhere, whatever yeah. it is, 
Right. I just started using my my mobile number. Um, I, I had had that one pretty long. You know, it used to be it's like, hey, I've had my landline number forever. My my mobile number I just got last year or whatever. You know, and then you start to realize, oh no, I've had my mobile number for like fifteen years at this point. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 also kind that's of like also, that's fine. I think a generational thing too. Um, because you know, yes, absolutely. You know, my generation boomers, yeah, they all want landlines. Um, yeah, because it's what they grew up with. It's what they're used to. Um, you know, you're kind of transitional. One of the things that surprises me, uh, you know, I'm kind of proud of having the same home phone number for 37 years. And if I were to lose the landline, one of the issues would be that we would lose that number. We would might port it to something else. I don't know. What my sense is, and this is actually based on some of the account recovery questions that I get periodically, is that um, younger people don't care about keeping a number. Yeah. They they regularly uh, turn in a phone or go switch to a new phone and get a new number at the same time. The whole concept of porting doesn't even matter to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wonder also if that starts to play into some people's reluctance to uh, to move to a cell phone only world. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. There are other, the other solutions that I was aware of for this kind of stuff. Um, there were advertisements for magic Jack. I'm so glad you didn't say magic Jack. Oh, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I guess, but I guess that is one of those, you know, it, those like it, make it easy for me options. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a USB device that you plug into your computer and all of a sudden you've got a phone number. What a lot of people don't realize, though, is that um, Skype, of course, lets you have uh, real phone numbers, make yeah. and you know receive and place phone calls on the normal network, as does Google. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I have for um, my domain registration and for any place where I don't really want to give out a phone number where they can actually reach me mm -hmm. is I use a Google number. I use one of my Google voice numbers. I still get voicemail. In fact, I only get voicemail, mm -hmm. but it never rings a phone I have to pay attention to. And um, yeah. that actually turns out, like I said, for my domain registration, that's where um, what shows up there because that's public record. Um, but that's another option for people that are looking to uh, to go completely VoIP as well. I love your solution, though. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I could now use this same service and grab a couple numbers and and then use those numbers and do various cool things with those, have those go to a voicemail system, maybe one that doesn't, maybe one does email me every time somebody leaves a voicemail, one doesn't. Doesn't, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's one the just- black hole of phone numbers, yes. Well, you could even, I could even have one just do a, no voicemail, it just has a message, right? Yes. So I could give it out, here's my phone number, and the message says, email me. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, in a nice way, it's a, yeah, go to this web page, you know, and you fill out the form, you know. So if you're a real person who really wants to get in touch with me, and this is the only way you've got, here's how to do it. Right. But, but I, but I know if you're a company or a spammer, you're not going to. So that's fine. Um. Yeah. There's a lot of cool. I mean, I guess, I guess, up until like last week, with all of the advanced stuff that I do with other internet things, mm -hmm. you know, both web at email stuff. I've done, I've, I've done some crazy stuff with email services and everything in the past, oh, yeah. oh. Uh, all sorts of messaging systems and things like that. But, you know, I was for uh, uh, phone numbers in the phone system. I was still basically not doing anything different than the year 2000. 
And, uh, but now that's changed. Now I have like, you know, kind of a, a side hobby of playing with the phone system. Thanks. Welcome to, to the 21st wait. century. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and the cool thing is, is that like you mentioned, it, you know, the generational thing is sure, you know, boomers and Gen X were sometimes stuck in the past with this. Whereas younger people will be like, I don't care about my phone number. I'll switch. I'll use these other systems. I'll just use Skype or not Skype. They'll use Snapchat and other things, WhatsApp and all that. You know, now I could do the typical Gen X thing, which is to leapfrog all of that and say, yeah, okay, you're, you're doing that. And I'm programming the phone system. <laughs> like I'm, <laughs> I mean, there's actually part of it is actually like a, a regular express. You, you know, when you set up some of the dialing stuff, it's like using regular expressions and everything. So yeah, there's stuff that like now I could do, I could do magic beyond what, what Gen Z or Gen Alpha can do. Um, thanks to just, you know, being a, uh, being a coder. Say it's good to be a geek. It just, yeah, is. good to be a geek. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, um, I uh, just a small sideline of something else that that I've been waiting for this afternoon. I keep waiting for the FedEx truck to drive up because it's supposedly going to get delivered right now. Um, I have a massive external drive on order, and uh, by massive I mean um, it's completely empty, <laughs> yeah. but it has no drives in it. But it has ten slots for SATA drives. Yeah. Which means that um, I could, if I wanted to, put in 10, 20 terabyte SATA drives and have wow. a 200 terabyte drive. Um, wow. it's, it, it manifests as uh, 10, I think it manifests as 10 external drives when you connect it up to your USB 3.2 port. Hmm. But um, the reason this is interesting for me is that I have a Franken NAS. I have a machine downstairs. It's got wires hanging all out of it. It's got, uh, right now, I think it's got like 14 USB ports on it with uh, about 10 USB drives external connected to it. That has become incredibly unreliable, mostly because of the USB interfaces. I just decided to say, you know what? Heck with it. Let's get a real box with a real power supply and throw them all in there. Um, I What... Typically what happens to me is that either of two things will happen. One is I will purchase an external drive for use and it'll be, you know, relatively large. Mm -hmm. The last one I purchased was like four terabytes. Um, and that it'll fall out of use because it doesn't really need to be um, used the way it was originally intended to. So I'll recycle it. And the way I end up recycling it is to throw it onto my quote unquote Franken NAS because that's since they're running all night um, doing backups. It backs up um, like it backs up my entire... 2.4 terabyte Dropbox um, overnight, um, which coincidentally took um, like a, a two days to make the initial copy. But um, but this is just something that is going to be pretty cool. It's like I said, it's gonna it's got slots for ten SATA drives. I will probably have about five or six of them plugged in right away as soon as this thing comes and I can configure it. That's just again more geeking out. It's the stuff that that I have fun with. I've got it hooked up to an older machine running um, Ubuntu Linux, uh, so it's all being handled through um, a Linux box that sits on my local network, and I can access from anywhere. Uh, it's definitely not NAS, uh, to be clear, because a lot of people, as soon as they see a large um, array of uh, inexpensive drives, which is what RAID originally stood for. Um, the, um, 
um, the fact is these are not RAID. This is not a RAID array. This is just um, a place to connect up 10 SATA drives. And I've got like a five and a couple of fours and a three and a 1.5 and a bunch of one terabyte drives that are all going to get stuck in there and we'll see what happens. Anyway, cool. that's just me. That's just me playing. I, yeah, I'm surprised you're, I, I thought you were going to say just that, you know, there's a lot of bigger drives that kind of just hit the market. Uh, every time somebody asks me like, oh, what should I get for a time machine drive? Mm. I always, uh, I, I'm like, oh yeah, what do I have? And I go and I look at the Amazon page and it shows <laughs> me that there, there's a bunch of drives, like Western digital drives or something. And it's like 12, 14 and 16 terabyte Right. options. And then I noticed that there were a whole bunch of new boxes this the last time I checked, all the way up to like 22 terabytes. Right, right. So I was like, oh, so I could actually, the same drive I have now, there's a 22 terabyte version. And I think it was like $360 or something. Yeah. Or maybe maybe it was the 20 terabyte was 360 and then it was like 540. You know, that last little jump is always like- a, Yeah, the last know. one is always horribly expensive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was like, but still I was like, well, this is, I'm glad because it seemed like it was stuck on those that kind of tier for a while. And, but now they have the bigger ones that you can get. Um, so that's kind of cool. I just love the concept. And the, the neat thing about this is, like I said, it's an, it's a big external USB drive. So that means that, you know, even if my little Ubuntu machine goes away, or if I feel like I need to connect it up to a different machine, I unplug it from one and plug it into the other. And all of a sudden all 10 external drives appear. Yeah. Um, the, um, but this concept of, like I said, with 20, terabytes being a reasonable maximum size these yeah. days for price performance. Um, 10 of them. <laughs> yeah. Like 200 terabytes in my basement. Who'd have thunk it? Hmm. Fantastic. All right. That's actually pretty cool. But yep. uh, moving on to our usual in a cool segment, um, I've just got a list uh, of, of stuff that we've been watching over the last three weeks uh, while we've been off. Uh, we're watching Picard which has been a lot of fun. I know that the writing has gotten slammed a little bit, but I'm still just enjoying it. Um, the Mandalorian has been fun, been watching mm -hmm. that for sure. Uh, we've watched the last of us, the end of the last of us, or at least the end of hopefully the first of multiple seasons of the last of us. Um, enjoyed the heck out of that more than we expected to actually, when we started in, we never did play the game. And we're also watching Carnival Row, um, which is kind of a, uh, a steampunkish fey type um, uh, fantasy type thing um, that's also very interesting. Unfortunately, it's on its second season, and it's been announced that it'll be its last season. But again, it's another um, another different world. Uh, to be clear, Picard is on Paramount Plus. Mandalorian is on um, Disney Plus. Last of Us is on HBO Max, and Carnival Row is on Amazon Prime. So, of course. Um, that's one of the reasons that we all have multiple services is because all of these good shows are being spread across all of the different services. Mm. Yes. So, um, and speaking of services. Yes. Um, so another thing I did in addition to canceling the landline mm -hmm. <laughs> is I, uh, I got off of uh, satellite TV. I've been using direct TV for a long time. Yep, as had we for uh, many years. Yep. I mean, yeah, it's like, uh, boy, it's, uh, almost since they started, um, was not sorry to leave them because it seems like every year they add one more thing that really made me angry. <laughs> commercials, <laughs> you know, commercials when you pause, you know, things like that. Oh, uh, I missed that. Good. Well, I yeah, you, you when you <laughs> pause, so you pause your show, and after like ten seconds, a still frame commercial comes up, you know, just like a you know an ad. 
Mm-hmm. And then you have, and, and you know what? I didn't mind that. It was just that you had to then play again. You had to press a button to cancel the ad and come up with a new, um, you know, uh, like to go back to the screen and then press another button to play again. So they added a button yeah. press for you. Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's like, and you use it a lot because you pause and it was, anyway, there's that and some of the stations that they they had or and have uh, kind of uh, made me angry and uh, all sorts of things. So I was not sorry to to finally leave them besides the fact that what they've got three satellites in orbit. And I do not believe that company, matter of fact, I, I'm sure that company has no ability to launch new satellites. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a, that's a fairly big thing to launch big uh, geosynchronous satellites into orbit. Yep. That was like part of their initial investment of building it. I don't think for a long time they've had that ability, which means they're just biding their time until. And if they've only got three, they're actually down some satellites because I think they have like five or six. Oh, really? Oh, well, maybe. Yeah. I... I'm, you know, satellite TV is a dying technology. It is. It is. Yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. And, and and they have an actual like a streaming service that they you do. can get, which, yeah, DirecTV Stream. Yep. Um, which you could get for a hundred bucks a month, which is a little pricey. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't want, you know, I don't, I, no, forget it. Uh, but it shows that they know that one day they're going to have, they're going to be down to two satellites all of a sudden. Right. And then they're going to be like, okay, we can patch it all together, but we need to move everybody the next six months to stream, you know? Um, but anyway, uh, anyway, I went, uh, there were ser- many different options. I went with YouTube TV mm-hmm. and I'm not like bringing it up and in, in ain't it cool because it's like YouTube TV is awesome. The jury's still out. Right. It's different. Yep. It's interesting. Yep. Um, but it is something that uh, I am I'm using right now. It takes a little getting used to, yep. especially on an Apple TV remote, because huh. the Google way of doing things and the Apple way of doing things don't always mesh. So you're using a an Apple user interface to navigate a Google UI that is uh it's a little but once you learn a few tricks you kind of get the hang of it um anyway it's kind of interesting and it works and of course it's less than half the price of what i was paying before i'm not getting as many channels as i was before so that's part of the reason why channels you care about well no most of the channels i care about i'm getting um but yeah there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot that's it, it, it's going to take time to actually weed out and figure sure. like, oh, what am I really missing here? So anyway, it, it's kind of cool. I do like the fact that it just works like yep. it was no big deal. I you know, you sign up, you fill out a form, you sign up. Hey, you've got YouTube TV. There's the app. It works. Yep. There's no big process of signing a contract and you know, you're stuck with this rate for six months and then this and that like a whole right. cable thing. I could just cancel right now. You know, right. I think I'm on the hook till the end of the month, right? I paid for the month and that's it. I could cancel and go with somebody else if I wanted did to. Did you opt for the 4K upgrade? I, I did not yet, okay. but I probably will. Yep. Uh, because I, part of the reason I didn't is I saw how easy it was to add it. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. it's not something I had to do right there and then. Um, What's weird I, about the 4K upgrade, yeah. um, obviously I have YouTube TV as well. Yeah. Um, what's weird about the 4K upgrade is that they don't increase your price by the price. You actually get billed separately. Um, in my case, I think it's actually a different time of the month. Um, oh. So, and I think it has to do with when you signed up rather than 
uh, trying to synchronize it with your regular YouTube TV subscription. So that's a little weird, but oh, yeah. I didn't, yeah, that is weird. Uh, I did notice the quality is really good. Now I know direct TV is still stuck in, uh, 1080 I 1080 right. I is really 540. Right. Right. But it's every other, uh, right. scan is, you know, so it's, it's a fake 1080. Um, whereas YouTube TV without the 4k is real 1080. Right. And I'm watching on a 4K television, a 75 inch 4K television. Right. Right. So the difference was noticeable immediately. Yeah. Um, be so interesting that, to see if you notice a difference if you ever do, or just, yeah, you will upgrade uh, to 4K. The question is not, will you? It's, yeah. will you keep it? Will it end up being worth it to you? Probably. I mean, I already watch Netflix in 4K. I've been doing that for a long right. time on this TV. So I've seen other things, but I have noticed like, particularly the broadcast television, like mm -hmm. watching like a regular, you know, old fashioned TV show that's on mm -hmm. CBS or ABC or whatever, mm -hmm. um, going from that 1080i through direct TV and now watching a 1080, you know, real um 1080p uh mm -hmm. it, it was it was kind of striking um seeing a show you're used to seeing seeing the same because when you watch movies you're seeing something different all the time you've never seen that movie before the right. sets the cinematography it's all right, new right. when you watch a network television show it's the same five sets <laughs> that you've been watching for years right with the same props in the background and all of a sudden it's now at a higher resolution and you could see, you know, the, the, the Connor's kitchen in 1080. Right. And, you know, and you're like, Oh, okay. Everything's a little clearer now. It's the like, other thing that I room. think YouTube and some of the other services already do better um, yeah. is you're also getting surround. Um, you're not, yes. I don't think we were getting that at all from direct TV, uh, but the sound is definitely better on a lot of these shows. I see it kick in all the time. We oh. ended up going with YouTube TV because we, it was, there were like two options to get local TV. One was um, Hulu, uh, Hulu with local, and the other was YouTube. And YouTube turned out to be cheaper at the time, although they've increased their price a time or two since then. Um, uh, we're uh, we're happy with it. Uh, we use it all the time. Uh, I think you'll be interested to just notice the difference in quality from um, uh, channel to channel, because the channels also control. Uh, the quality of the feed that they send out. Uh, so yes, it's not always, it's, you know, YouTube isn't necessarily the, the constricting factor there. It's the channel itself. Uh, some of the channels that focus on reruns, uh, you know, older shows definitely don't invest in pumping out 1080p because there's no point. Um, some of them, however, have done a nice job of upscaling some of the older shows we've been watching um, in the background sometimes. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer of all things. Yes. And um, I was... And I know that that was recorded in the old uh, standard definition, which now I think would be like 480p um, uh, or worse, actually, on a regular TV. Mm -hmm. um, it actually looks really good. Somebody did some upscaling there that actually works well. So there, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to hear your, your long-term experience with them. The one comment I have, and I think I've made that comment here before, because you're using Netflix, you're using YouTube TV, you're using Apple TV. Um, you're probably using a couple of the other streaming services. Oh, yeah. Every streaming service application sucks. Mm -hmm. They all just suck in their own unique and different way. <laughs> yeah. Um, that there are frustrating things about YouTube TV. There are frustrating things about Hulu. There are frustrating things about Netflix. Uh, 
but they're all different frustrating things. And of course, um, heaven forbid the UI designers all get together and come up with a standard way of doing this. No, to do this on this streaming service, you have to do that. To do the same thing on this other streaming service, you have to do it this way. Um, it That part gets really frustrating really quickly. Yep. Yeah, and and maybe in a future episode, yeah, talking about uh, the Buffy upgrade, there's a whole bunch of interesting things that happened when they took the original film from the Buffy episodes and came out with new versions of those episodes. Oh, so you're actually aware of what they did? Because I'm, oh, I'm not. I just I just saw it I, and said oh, I, I actually do know. I, I do know what they did, and there's some fascinating things that happened awesome. uh, when they did that because they not only went uh, up, you know, up the uh, quality but it's widescreen now it wasn't widescreen when it originally it was i just assumed that they were um uh, doing what is it there, there's like four or five different options when you've got something that's the wrong size right you can pillar it you can you can yeah. letterbox it you can stretch it you can do all that kind of stuff so i just assumed that they had done some kind of cropping but okay no cool. that'd be good no, to hear they didn't. They, i they... think that's a wonderful topic okay cool um yeah, I think I think we've talked long enough for this. Episode. Yeah, no, this we'll is this that is cool. For future. Yeah. In terms of our own blatant self promotion, um, I recently, again, while we were off, one of the things I ended up doing was updating what I consider to be my single most important book, and that is the Ask Leo Guide to Staying Safe Online. It's now in its sixth edition. Mm -hmm. um, it's a there's a free version that's available to my newsletter subscribers and as it turns out to our podcast listeners. If you go out to askleo.com slash free dash resources, there's a link, of course, in the show notes, um, you'll find that and a couple of other things you can download for free. There is an extended version for um, for purchase, of course, but um, uh, the free version actually has a whole bunch of stuff in there that is all aimed at, you know, exactly what it says, keeping you safe while you're, uh, you know, experiencing the internet and the online world. Cool. Um, I'll mention a video I did recently. Uh, a really annoying thing that happens in the Mac world is somebody emails you an image and you get that image and it's just this tiny little image with hardly any resolution. It's bad enough when it's a photo. It's horrible when it's a screenshot. You can't even read anything in the screenshot. Mm -hmm. um, the reason is, is because when you go to email an, an image, the mail uh, app that Apple has will automatically compress the image size to make it a little more transportable over email. And there's a small, medium, a large. And uh, it'll remember your last choice. Oh. So if, you're ever, <laughs> if you've ever chosen small, um, it'll do small the next time and the next time and the next time. And it's easy not to notice that yes. because you're not going to, you don't look at the image you're about to send. You, you know, you know, your image looks great. Hey, it's a great photo. And then you go to send it. You don't go and then review the image. Right. You just notice that, oh, there's an attachment. Um, so I talk about that mistake that so many people make and how to avoid it. We, I often see the the opposite um, where people attach a photo or embed a photo and it's huge. Yeah. And the only thing you see is like the upper left-hand corner when you open the email message. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, I think that pretty much wraps us up for our return from spring break. Uh, we survived, we're back. As always, the show notes for this week are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh187. If you've got a comment or a question for us, leave it on the show notes page and we will see it. Thanks as always for listening and we will see you here again real soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.